Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley, Bridgeway's Director of Connections, and today my co-host, Pastor Lance Hahn, and I are joined by Bridgeway's Director of Care and Compassion, Pastor Parnell Lovelace. On today's episode, we will be discussing the recent protests that have been occurring during the singing of the national anthem before NFL games. These demonstrations and reactions to them by the President of the United States have been as controversial as they are divisive. As Christians, how can our faith inform how we understand these protests? Are they disrespectful to the flag, or are they a necessary public statement? What role does race and racism play in all of this? How can we as Christ followers be bridge builders and peacemakers when facing turbulent social issues? These questions and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. Well, hello and welcome to episode nine of Engaging Culture. I am joined by my co-host, Pastor Lance Hahn. Lance, good morning. Hello. Good morning, Pastor Brian. How are you? I'm doing excellent. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, I know that we are both excited to welcome our special guest this morning. That is Pastor Parnell Lovelace. How are you, sir? I'm well. Thank you. I'm excited to be with Two of my best friends today. Woo! All right. I love this guy. All He's right. awesome. Yes, he is. What What about having Pastor Parnell on the program makes you most excited? Uh, number one, it is his uh, cool factor, honestly. Yes. Yeah, the fact that every time he talks, it's suddenly more cool than whatever I just said. I do think that and the sheer presence of him being in the room. Those two things are great. Could not have said it better myself. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> So uh, today we are, are tackling a, a big issue, and that is the, the recent protests taking place prior to NFL games. They've been uh, become known online through the uh, hashtag, hashtag take a knee. Uh, these uh, protests started about a year ago, just to recap for any of those who have had no access to the news media in the last couple of weeks. They started about a year ago with a player for the San Francisco 49ers named Colin Kaepernick. He was joined by another player named Eric Reed. And uh, the protest was originally meant to protest the treatment of African-Americans in the United States. This year, several players have taken a knee. And recently, at a speech in Alabama, the president got involved and had some very choice words in suggesting what should be done with with said players. And uh, his statements ignited significantly more protests throughout uh, the NFL, with more players taking a knee, with players standing arm in arm, with owners even joining to take a knee before the anthem and all sorts of stuff. It's become this big cultural phenomenon. As we were preparing for the episode a few days ago, I even mentioned to Parnell, I said, if that speech on Friday didn't happen, we're probably not having this conversation. It has been injected into the cultural consciousness. So we're going to talk through that, try to make some sense of it. Just to get us started, I'd I'd like to ask uh, both of you, maybe starting with you, uh, Parnell, when these protests first started happening with Colin Kaepernick about a year ago, what do you remember about your initial reaction to them? What what were your initial thoughts? My initial was, uh, thoughts regarding his actions was that I felt he was representing and communicating a message that there's hurt, that our nation is broken, that there are people who have been impacted that are, in essence, being overlooked in the nation, particularly African-American men, uh, the police brutality or the perceived police brutality and things that were happening in our nation seemingly were being unaddressed. So my initial thoughts were that he is using the platform that has been given to him to communicate his concern, to communicate awareness towards what was taking place within our nation at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's great. How about you, Lance? Well, it's interesting because I was immediately split. Um, I had just recently uh, been starting to engage in some pretty heavy African-American studies. Um, And so I think that was pretty rich in my blood. So I tended to have an instantaneous reaction similar to what Parnell had. But what was interesting was that there was another side to me that I instantly began to dig in my mind of going, wow, I don't know if this was the right way. Because it touched on a bunch of hurt pain stories for other people and using their pain stories to talk about this pain story. And they were saying, whoa, whoa, don't step on my pain story. Make your own pain story. And I started feeling a little bit of controversy within myself. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's pain 
on a number of different perspectives, and it's almost like expressing the one kind of exposes the other a little bit, right? right absolutely, yeah, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is challenging. I remember when I when I first saw it, I thought I thought to myself, uh, this is going to be um, uh, this is going to be challenging and interesting to see how kind of the culture responds to it. Because on the one hand, protest in general, my posture is I at least want to listen. If protest is going on, whether I agree or disagree, I always want to be receptive to the message being communicated. My concern was that Colin Kaepernick was protesting a very legitimate issue. But he was doing it in a way where there, there is so much emotion around the flag, around the anthem. And, and there is a lot of, of strong feelings surrounding that, that when you make your protest in a way that calls into question cultural norms and calls into question strong feelings, people tend to not be receptive to that. And they tend to react very strongly and your message can get lost. That was my initial concern. Not that I was against what he was doing necessarily, because I... I because I wasn't, but I was nervous. I thought, boy, I, is this going to work? I wasn't really sure about that. No, I, I think those are absolutely fair. What What is interesting was the reaction that went out there. So I, I, I put these two questions out there. When you first saw it, did you see spoiled, disrespectful athletes trying to manipulate, or did you see men who desperately crave your help? And the reason why I brought that up is obviously there were people that didn't react like all three of us. They had completely different reactions. How in the world did they get a different reaction than what we had? Well, obviously, they had a whole different mindset at the time. And that was, how dare you, right? Right off the bat was, how dare you? You you know, you grab something of mine in order to make your point. You're just spoiled. You've never been in war. You don't understand. You know, these are the types of things that obviously, because we're talking here and we all had kind of this measured reaction of wisdom, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> well, that is not exactly how everyone reacted. So we do need to highlight out there was vastly different reactions than us. Absolutely. And that that kind of leads into a, a next question that I'd like us to talk through is obviously these these protests have struck a chord. There's the understatement of the day, right? It has struck a chord with so many people of so many different belief systems and perspective, perspectives. Uh, Parnell, first, uh, what do you attribute that to? Why do you think this has garnered the attention it's received? And why do so many people have such a strong opinion about uh, these protests? Well, I, I have to be frank. I, I really believe that it has struck a chord as it has in years past and decades past because of the fact that it is a black man who is, in essence, making the protests. And it is led by, initially, by uh, black people who have historically anything that we've ever spoken up against in regards to this country, it has been challenged as either being a, you know something that is not valid uh, that we're overestimating it, that we're blowing it out of proportion. Um, I really think that it boiled down to Colin Kaepernick making a statement as a black man. I, I question whether or not had he been of another ethnicity, if it would have, <clears throat> excuse me, brought about such a response. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that he was representing, again, uh, a, a belief system that there is injustice, that there is uh, a, a culture that has masked the racism that is still prevalent within our own nation. I think he took a stand, and I think people began to question, how again, how dare you? Mm -hmm. How dare you take such a stand? Which, by the way, Colin Kaepernick was not the first one who's ever protested in such a way earlier in the 70s during the Olympics sure. when the gentlemen were standing up and holding their fist up. That was considered to be very disrespectful because they were representing our nation. But again, these were African-American black men. And I believe that that plays a lot into some of the reaction that we're seeing, particularly within the climate that has arisen over the last Two to three years. And there's certainly some similarity between the backlash following that protest at the Olympics. Absolutely. And then right now, which, and we'll kind of circle back to this a little bit later, which I think raises the very fair question. People say it's about the flag. I just don't think that's true. 
I think that that is a that's a way of avoiding the issues that are that are in play here. But I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Well, hold Wait, on, let ahead. me let me just clarify something real quick. Um, the the incident that Parnell was just referring to was Tommy Smith in the 1968 yep. uh, Olympic Games in Mexico City. Um, during the national anthem, because some some of our listeners are not quite old enough to remember this scenario, I wasn't even born when this happened. So, um, what happened was, is during a national anthem, he had he had won a medal, and so he then raised his fist with a black glove on it, of saying that man, there's stuff back home. I'm here in Mexico City, and I'm now being heralded a champion. When I go home, I actually have to face all the same garbage that I've had to face before. And he said this, this is this is very like an offensive statement, and but yet it's so accurate that it hurts my gut just to say it. But here's here was his quote. He said, It is very discouraging to be in a team with white athletes. On the track, you're Tommy Smith, the fastest man in the world. But once you're in the dressing rooms, you're nothing more than a dirty Negro. That right there is he goes, Listen, how in the world am I just supposed to move on and just not draw attention to this when I'm walking right back into it. Now, later on, I'm going to highlight the exact same thing happened in the American Revolution. <laughs> so if we want to scoot way back, right. the exact same thing occurred of, you know, and, and obviously I'm not trying to jump ahead, but the same thing occurred of here are black men fighting for to be free from one nation only to not be free in their own nation and then the revolution was using the same language that the African-Americans were trying to use about freedom. The whole thing is so mind-bending. Anyway, we didn't have to go that far. Well, and you could look it, at but. even other American conflicts later on. The Civil War, World War I, right. World War II, Vietnam. So many of the same stories where you've got African-Americans putting their life on the line for their country and then look, looking and saying, wait a second, you mean to tell me I have to eat lunch at a different counter? Like that, this is, this doesn't make any sense. And- that speaks that that allows us, I think, to make sense of some of the anger because virtually any reasonable person, I would hope, would admit that's just not right. It's no, it's not. Well, and Brian, you bring out a good point. I think that's where the conflict lies uh, when you have the quote unquote American dream that is put mm -hmm. out there and the freedom and the terminologies that we use freedom, justice, liberty for all. And yet it is not observed. It is not practiced. It does pose a conflict. I, I think of the famous civil rights activist, Fannie Lou Hamer. She made an interesting statement. And interesting enough, it was about the American flag and some of the protesting that was going on during the civil rights movement by young men. And she made a statement, and I quote, uh, the flag is drenched with our blood. The flag is drenched with our blood. And she went on to elaborate that the protest that was happening among some of the young civil rights uh, leaders, the young men at that time, is that they're, they're questioning, you know, why are we sending men to Vietnam? Why are we doing all the things that we're doing? Uh, and black people have built this country off of slavery and so forth, and yet there's such a disrespect and yet we're called to honor the flag that, in essence, is used against us. And that was a statement that she was making, that uh, the flag now has changed, uh, in our view, a, the symbolism. It does not hold the same symbolism as others are equating it to be. So I think that the conflict that poses itself, uh, the, the challenge of not seeing what is being put out there is not actually what the reality is. I think right. that's the challenge. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, one thing One thing. just to, uh, I, I completely agree with you, and um, obviously off mic, uh, Porno, you and I are, are very much in sync in so many different things on this issue, right? We've talked about this a lot, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, I've made it a big part of my life. Um, uh, one thing I will um, kind of just add to what you were saying a little bit earlier, you said, I think that why it touched such a, a massive vein was because it was a, a black man doing it. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, however, I think it also is because it's the flag. And here's, here's why. There's a bunch of white people that were protesting in the 60s, the war, and they started to mess with the flag. And they were violently attacked for messing with the flag. You don't 
talk about, you know, you don't mess with the national anthem. You don't mess. Once again, it's such a charged icon that um, whether they were black or white, really, the minute you started protesting the war, you protest, there was a lot of conflict. So even if it was a white man, there would still be conflict. I think there was an added layer and why it immediately triggered something because it was a black man. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. There, all of that is loaded into this term. And what's fascinating to me about that, Lance, is that, you know, with all of the uh, feedback and hostility in this subject, it, it amazes me that some of the same people that are pushing back on the protests are the ones who, in some of the games I've been to, you'll hear the national anthem, you'll see the flag going up, and they'll be on their cell phone, they'll talk, Absolutely. they won't place their hand on their heart. So it's fascinating, fascinating to me to see kind of the double standard there, you know, even to be quite frank, our own president at times has been photographed not placing his hand on his heart during the playing of the national anthem and so forth. So I, I think that I have to question how it became such a hostile thing to go on one's knee. Uh, to, to actually take a knee. In my opinion, I've always thought of taking the knee is a time of showing uh, something, someone is hurt. Uh, let's pause, let's stop, let's reflect. Uh, there's an injury, there's uh, something that is amiss that has taken place during the game. Uh, now it is seen that you have literally punched someone in the gut when you're talking about taking a knee. Right. That it is more than, uh, again, what I thought it was intended to do. So you talk about uh, different forms of disrespect going on during the, the playing of the anthem. And I think anyone who's attended a sporting event or gone to maybe a, a graduation or any sort of uh, public event where the, the anthem is played has observed this sort of, this sort of behavior. Uh, and then there's, there's, of course, the the irony of people talk about disrespecting the flag by kneeling. Uh, if you actually look at the flag code, kneeling is not uh, considered disrespect, but say wearing a flag shirt is disrespectful. So you've got people wearing flag shirts criticizing people for kneeling, which I would suggest if this was really about the flag, they would know the flag code and probably would not be wearing that shirt. But here's my point and my question to you is, is how much... How much is the the focus on the action itself, kneeling before the national anthem, uh, which reasonable people can disagree about the appropriateness of that sort of thing. That's that's fine. How much do you feel that the cultural focus on the activity is essentially an avoidance technique to avoid talking about the issue of race in America, the treatment of African-American men, which historically... Caucasians have not been great at engaging with that issue in a, in a healthy manner. No, I, I think you're hitting right on the issue. And so since you went there, let's just go there. Let's, let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, it is a diversion. It is, in essence, avoiding the deeper discussion. Uh, I, I think it's more than just the flag. Frankly, I think it's more than just the reaction of the president. I think mm -hmm. that it has hit an underlying challenge that our nation is facing that requires, in my opinion, open dialogue, it requires the ability to speak freedom and, frankly, to even protest freely. The very flag that we honor gives us the freedom and the liberty to protest. Mm -hmm. That's what makes our nation what it is. And I, I feel that to avoid the conversation, to avoid talking about some of the specific issues that plague our nation in relationship to racism is very counterproductive. It is disingenuous to who we are as a people, as a nation. So you're absolutely right. Lance, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so, I, you know, I'm always trying to play uh, both sides, trying to understand um, what's going on. But here's kind of where it leads for me. Talking about what the, the national anthem and the involvement in it and everything, um, one of the articles that we were kind of doing research on said, you know, a lot of people said, you know, well, why would you, why would you make sports, you know, political? And the response in the article was, <laughs> you already did that. You playing the national anthem at a sporting event. You just made it political. Right. Like, so the reason why it seems very natural to lean into that and take a knee during the national anthem is it's a national issue. 
you just brought in politics, so I'm going to respond, meaning Colin Kaepernick. I'm going to respond or whoever else because now it's not just Colin Kaepernick, right? I mean, it's 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 tons of evil. Right. They're saying, listen, you've already made it political at my sporting event, so I'm going to comment on the politics while we're here. I'm going to take a knee, and I'm going to tell you it's a national issue, so I need to talk and, and do this move during something that is national, I guess is is kind of the thing. Um, I, I think that, and and maybe I'll just jump here because I don't, I don't quite know where we're going to ultimately go. But let, let's Who go. Who really does? Yeah. Let, <laughs> let, so here here's the thing. I think that Parnell, you were really really touching on. There is a history. Nothing happens in a vacuum. And so one of the things that makes me uh, frustrated is that both sides bring in their history. And then they're not really looking at each other. So, for example, to anyone that is African-American, the most natural assumption was, here we go again, right? Black man tries to stand up, gets shut down. Here we go again. Black man touches one thing, boom, now we got a problem. Whereas the white community brings in their history, which says, hey, this is a super important thing to us. Make sure you honor that. Oh, and then... You do. We'll talk about another subject at another time. You understand what I'm saying? So, like the two perspectives are miss each other and they crisscross. Well, I think there's some truth to that. However, again, getting back to kind of my initial point about it being an avoidance strategy, I think that's really the case. You can say, okay, you can say respect this and let's talk about this at another time. I'm not sure where healthy street level dialogues about these issues are happening because you like take take it's not that's yeah. why it's a protest right. so so take for example the, the black lives matter you know movement yeah which uh you know we're not going to get into the nuances of the strengths and weaknesses of the movement and there are both but you saw a lot of similar rhetoric surrounding black black lives matter from the outside seeking to discredit it seeking to make it politically partisan it was absolutely political in the sense that it dealt with us as a society but all of these sort of dismissive ways of dealing with the protest as opposed to listening and evaluating the quality of the message. And and that's where I, I can't help but think so much of this frustration comes from where uh, I think a lot of African-Americans, especially those who are involved in these justice type causes, are asking the question, okay, where as an African-American person am I allowed to protest? Which no citizen in a country with a First Amendment like ours should have to ask that question, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and and to jump on that further, the fact that we are able to protest, how do we carry the protests into some viable, clear uh, civil discourse? Yeah. Being able to, to talk about these issues. I was impressed recently with the response of Lieutenant General, I believe it was Silvera, Sil- Silveria from uh, the... United States Air Force Academy over a recent issue in which there were some racist comments made on the message board, and he addressed over 5,000 of his staff and students that were there. He made a very clear statement that was so powerful. He says, our nation has lost its ability to have civil discourse. Mm. Uh, Yes, we have to be able to say up front that racism is uh, not accepted in any form or fashion, and he went as far as to say, if you are here and you cannot respect someone, get out. But I appreciated the fact that he also left it for that civil discourse, being able to have the conversation, uh, we being able to come to the table and share our various stories. Uh, Lance was saying earlier, our, our deep histories on all, all sides. Everyone has a history. And being able to share with that and possibly get an understanding of one another's history and to see also how those histories intersect and where many times that intersection has posed the conflict. How do we resolve those issues? Well, let me, let me also just clarify something that I don't think I was very clear about. I completely agree that avoidance is happening all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was not disagreeing with that at all. I I think absolutely people are avoiding, Oh, don't do it now. Don't do it now. Don't do it in this way. Um, I was, I just want to always be clear because when I first thought through the subject um, and I was trying to wrestle through the issue for me, I wasn't trying to avoid anything. Mm-hmm. And I still had challenges with it yeah. because I was trying to figure out what he meant. Right. And so it wasn't an avoidance tactic. 
for me anyway, but I'm still allowed to wrestle with it. Um, but let me let me talk a moment about uh, protest. So let's go back. One of the articles that uh, we were trying to study up on this was talking about, really, I mean, they didn't say this, but we've always been a history of rebellious people in America. I mean, it started from rebelling from England, right? And we've always been rebelling ever since. And it seems to be fine for the people that want to rebel and are on that team. <laughs> Anyone that's against the rebellion, right. there's a problem, right. right? Right. So I'm sure England wasn't cool with the rebellion. Um, and, and talking about the fact that the Boston Tea Party, right, right off the bat. So we throw all the tea into the thing, and it wasn't, it wasn't ultimately about tea, right? It, it never has to do with tea. It had to do with saying something's wrong here. The way right. you're treating me is wrong. Right. Just like this isn't the flag, I'm trying to point out mistreatment. And whether I use tea or I use the flag or I use whatever, I'm trying to get you to look at something else, right? right? And the other piece was, guys, it can't always be peaceful. And, and remember, they were talking about when Rosa Parks sat on the bus. It's not peaceful. That, that The whole point was jamming things up and causing disruption. Um, was she wrong to do that? Absolutely not. She was trying to make a point of saying... Why are you calling this wrong? This is not wrong. So I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Yep. The lunch counter sit in. Yep. Hey, should we not be allowed to be in this restaurant? This is absurd. Uh, we are human beings. You're human beings. We're all Americans. Can we please sit here at this counter? And you go, well, why do you got to come into my establishment? Hold up. Because the whole idea that there's a rule here is wrong. So I'm going to jack your world i'm going to walk in and cause a problem uh it was talking about you know uh well why should you move into my neighborhood whoa whoa, hold up why is it your neighborhood i'm moving where i works for my family and as an american i feel like i get to move anywhere in america that's how it works this is our nation not your nation right so protests are always if you don't get attention with a protest and it's dismissed, it's not an effect, effective protest, right? Right. And and you also mentioned a couple other things. Uh, well, we talked about the American Revolution, right, with um, African-American men dying to protect the right for people to be slave owners, which is like, what what is going on there? And in our preamble of the U.S. Constitution, it says what? We, the people. That's a collective, it says in the Pledge of Allegiance, closes with what? And justice for all. Right. Not justice for some. So why the flag? Why the anthem? It says in the Pledge of Allegiance, justice for all. If that is not being observed, then it needs to be highlighted through the flag and through the Pledge of Allegiance or through some type of national anthem. Because those are symbols of these alleged of values the actual we, claim, problems. we claim to hold. And gosh, there's so many layers to this. Because on the one hand, a, a protest that doesn't move the needle, that doesn't sort of capture the public consciousness, or that gets immediately dismissed is not an effective protest, as you stated. And that's where those who are doing the protesting, regardless of the issue, they have to calibrate being disruptive enough to get noticed, but not so disruptive that they get wholly dismissed. Now, on the other hand, you look at these values that America claims to hold. I mean, you know, you talked about liberty and justice for all. You talked about we the people. You talk about uh, the phrase to form a more perfect union, which which I find that phrase to be to be very moving and compelling. In a sense, protest has to be a part of that because of the brokenness of our hearts. Uh, that when Amen. we when we get into power positions of power, positions of influence, we because of our own brokenness tend to resist protest. We tend to resist uh, equality. We tend to resist giving up of our own rights for others. And thus, uh, protest has to be a part of what we're doing. Now, again, reasonable people can disagree about the what, what the right way to do that is. But if we get so attached to our symbols that they don't allow us to hear protest that is necessary to achieve liberty and justice for all, that is necessary to form a more perfect union, to me, and this is this might be a little bit controversial, but I think it's important. To me, that is a very unpatriotic approach 
to say my loyalty to the symbol, which is fine. I'm not against loyalty to the symbol. What I'm against is if your loyalty to the symbol supersedes your loyalty to the values, that's a real problem. And when we look at somebody protesting, not the symbol, but protesting uh, a, a, a situation where we observe the symbol, and he's doing that for the sake of the values, to me, that at least requires our attention, our respect and consideration, even if we don't fully agree. Well, let me ask you, uh, Brian, given what you just stated in regards to protesting, and I, I agree with you. I, I believe you know both my parents were military. My dad served in Korea, served in Vietnam. Uh, both of them, both my parents, I have their flags that I was presented upon their passing mm-hmm. displayed in my home. Yeah. And, uh, and I honor the fact that when that flag was given to me, it was very moving, very oh, yeah. special. I knew the sacrifice that my parents gave to our country in regards to that. But coming from a perspective of faith, let me ask you this, how do we reconcile that this uh, ability to protest and the right to protest, because, again, I have parents who would say uh, the same flag that represents the liberty and freedom that I have also gives me the liberty and freedom to protest. How do I reconcile that with this thought, I'm to live peaceably with all and uh, I'm to love all people and answer everyone, you know, with this mentality of a gentle answer and so forth. How do I reconcile that and protest at the same time? I think that's a great question. And I think, excuse me, that absolutely has to inform protest. So, for example, I really don't care what the cause is, left, right, race, country, whatever, looting and bashing in store windows and beating people who disagree with you is inappropriate. I don't okay. care what your cause is. I, I feel like as a Christ follower, I cannot support that. I may agree with maybe the ideology behind you, but I, I completely would condemn that sort of behavior. Hard to think of an example or a counterexample where I'd say, well, maybe that's okay. I think violence, I think the use of epithets, I think the use of name calling, I think, you know, we live in a a society where instead of nuanced, respectful arguments, we have internet memes, right? So using things like that, to me, violates the call that we have as Christ followers to live peaceably. The, the, the call we have, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the reference, so one of you guys can, can, can say it if you know it, but there's a place in the New Testament that talks about, let your reasonableness be made known to all, right? This idea of we want to be thoughtful, we want to be articulate, and that, to me, gives our passion and gives our protest credibility that is lost if we're simply flying off the handle, if we're being violent, if we're being uh, sort of uh, even rhetorically violent, as opposed to really seeking understanding. And that, and Lance, I want to get you, I want to hear your answer to that question too. I'm really curious to hear it. That to me was part of what made the column by Eric Reed that was in the New York Times, one of the guys who knelt with Kaepernick. That's what made that column so compelling to me was he really talked through their process for determining this is what we're going to do. And and to me, that was a real game changer in understanding what they were trying to accomplish and understanding the the appropriateness or inappropriateness of it. We'll get to that in a second. Lance, how would you answer Parnell's question and or well, I think, I yeah, said. I think it goes hand in hand because in Eric Reed's article, he said it was his faith that compelled him to do something about it. He was talking about, and he was quoting the book of James, and he was talking about the fact that, no, 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 we need to stand up for what's right. And, and, and if I'm going to stay back because it's more comfortable for me, that doesn't seem to be a Christ message. So his faith actually made him kneel which I think is fascinating. So uh, in answer to the question, I go back to um, a little moniker I have called myself. You know how you give yourself a nickname and nobody else agrees (laughs) with you? Anyway, I gave myself a nickname. I'm an agitating peacemaker. Um, And what it is is that I stir the pot in order to settle it right. Good. And because I think at the end, peace needs to be the issue. Um, Where we're headed, but how we get there is very tumultuous. So in my opinion, for my faith— and the way that I believe faith leads with protest mm-hmm. is that's part of the agitating process. I think that protest is necessary 
because it creates enough agitation to resettle. For example, if you have uh, a jar of liquid and a bunch of different things, the only way you get it to settle down right, is to shake it, right? So you got to shake up some things in order to resettle back the way it was supposed to be settled. And so for me, um, I, I too feel like we are to be at peace with all men, meaning ultimately, but there's a way for me to get to peace. Let me give you one other practical counseling issue. There is a thing called the pathway of conflict. All of us start in any relationship in a place of intimacy. We then have a conflict, and it, we have two choices. We either heal and go back to intimacy, or we move forward into withdrawal. Once you're in withdrawal, there's no way back to intimacy but through the pathway of conflict. In other words, that's why most people stay in withdrawal, because they don't want to f- go fight about it again. In other words, the agitation is the only way to get to intimacy again. So even on a counseling perspective, everything that I do through my lens, and you guys know how I preach and how I teach, right? You were just asked something I taught the other day, which is super offensive. And I have a way of kicking people in the face and then thanking me later. Anyway, (laughs) it's a spiritual gift. But that's, that's why I'm so agitating. But everyone knows that I'm loving and that I head towards peace at the end. What am I trying to create? The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I get there? Agitating. That's good. Absolutely. And that, and that to me, getting back to your original question, Parnell, is kind of the difference between helpful agitation and unhelpful agitation. What's the goal? Are you agitating for the sake of agitating? Are you just trying to stick it to the man, so to speak? I, I, don't, I don't think that's a very redemptive goal, but to say, hey, I, I want to create peace and, the way, and, and because of my desire for peace, I'm willing to wade through some challenges. That's powerful. Now, I want to shift back a little bit to the motivation of the original protest, because I think that maybe a lot of folks don't know this. And, and even the conversations that were had with a former member of the military as these protests began, because to me, they're very powerful. Which one of you wants to talk about that? Yeah, that would be Parnell. <laughs> Thank you, Lance. <laughs> One I'm an the, agitating peacemaker. <laughs> um, you, you know, the question has been asked by lots of folks, particularly some of the political pundits, why the protests had to happen within football in particular, uh, why the discussion in, in the NFL. And I think that we, we have to look at the fact that the NFL is made up of approximately 70 to 75 percent of people of color. Right. Yeah. So the fact that it was discussed, the fact that it was presented, the fact that it was depicted or the protest took place within that environment suggests that uh, we make up African-Americans, make up a good portion of the players. Mm -hmm. And so they, uh, in particular, Colin Kaepernick and then Eric Reed and others who now have followed suit, um, it is an expression Again, that they're taking advantage of the position that they are in. Our nation, within the last uh, two to three, four, five years, has clearly had presented through the media more than we've ever observed some of the injustices that have taken place, particularly with uh, African American young men. Right. Um, this has always been the case. This, you know, it didn't just start two years ago. It didn't just start three years ago. But what took place in our nation was certainly it rose to the place of prominence based upon the media's depiction, a lot of the things that were put out there and things that people were seeing, whether it was Charlottesville, whether it was Ferguson, uh, all the different places that we saw things happening as far as uh, the shootings and things that took place. The point being is that I think Kaepernick and uh, Reed and others, they— took advantage of a position that they have been granted, a privilege and really a blessing that they have been given, a platform in which they could communicate. And I personally have to say I appreciate the fact that it was done with dignity. It was not two guys or in case when Colin was the only one, he wasn't just sitting there cussing everyone out on the on you know during an interview or what have you. Right. But it was done in a very clear, as was stated, uh, an agitating fashion, but it was done peaceably. Right. Um, 
And I, I think you made a point earlier. It did get kind of lost initially. Um, I think he could have even been a little bit more forthright. Mm-hmm. But there is a tendency when you're jumping out there and you're the first one to kind of step out in those roles, there's a timidity that comes. You know, you're trying to figure out how people are going to respond. How far do I go with this? He probably could have gone a lot further and, right. and stating his point and making it very clear. Right. I think it left it open for a lot of speculation. I think it left it open for people to throw their own agendas into it. Mm-hmm. And it became a flag issue where I don't believe he started it as a flag issue. I think he started it as an issue relative to what was happening with African-American young men. Absolutely. I mean, I think there was certainly some avoidance, certainly some race and even possibly racism. But on the, the flip side, there was... Uh, as you stated, perhaps a lack of clarity and kind of the the motive and all of that. But you're right in saying it was done peacefully. And even what's even more what's more interesting to me even is the interaction that Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed had with a gentleman named Nate Boyer, who was a retired Green Beret, served in combat, former NFL player. Lance, talk a little bit about the interaction that they had and how that shaped the protest and how that can help us understand what, at least initially, Colin Kaepernick was trying to symbolize. I think today the protests are perhaps a little different than what they were back then, but what initially was trying to be symbolized? Yeah, I think you're probably going to be a little bit clearer on that article because, um, so I'd actually have you give the recap because um, what the thing that impressed me the most about that particular article was they engaged with a man of the flag right. and the man of the flag was like... the. This is you need to do this, meaning in no way did he see it as disrespectful. But why don't you do give the recap? Because I think you're clearer on it. Yeah, I thought what was interesting was that uh, they went to this this guy named Nate Boyer, Green Beret, again, served in the military, active duty. And and he said to Colin Kaepernick, hey, listen, it would really be better if instead of sitting, because initially he sat. I would like for you to kneel. We would prefer that you would kneel. combat soldiers kneel in front of a, a fallen Uh, a fallen uh, brother or sister, right? This is a sign of respect. It's a sign of reverence. It's a sign of, of mourning to, so then uh, Kaepernick said, okay, yeah, we can absolutely do that. That really communicates what we're trying to communicate a little bit more closely. And even to quote Eric Reed from the article, uh, it says that we, uh, Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick came to the conclusion that we should kneel rather than sit the next day during the anthem as a peaceful protest. We chose to kneel because it's a respectful gesture. I remember thinking our posture was like a flag flown at half mast to Mm. mark a tragedy. So say what you want, but I think we just have to be honest about what were these men attempting to communicate. And to me, if you see what they're doing without any context and think, oh, they're disrespecting the flag, that's fine. You can, you, if you, you want to think that without context, okay. But when you understand the context, to me, that perspective loses some of its validity because they've been very clear about this is not what we're trying to do. Well, here, here's the other thing, and I don't think that they were thinking this deeply, um, but, it, but it is powerful. Maybe the first gentleman that they consulted was thinking this deeply. But um, when you talk about one of the things that we read was about what the flag stands for. The, the red is for the blood that was shed. And people, I think, automatically go to that and they go, there was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of pain that our forefathers have given. Don't mess with it. Right. And then you talk about white for purity. But one of the articles talked about what the blue was for. Do you remember this? The blue in the flag is for vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Mm, yeah. Okay, vigilance, perseverance, and justice. So automatically you go, I would kneel before the flag to say vigilance and justice are not being done, which was originally the intention of what the flag's supposed to stand for. So I'm going to kneel to get attention to be focused on a bigger issue. I'm going to do so in a respectful way to say I don't think my nation is what it ought to be. I think there's so many beautiful layers as to how it was done that whether they intended all those layers or not, I think they intended to be respectful. I think as what Parnell said, there's one way to go in there and just start blowing things up and just start screaming and yelling at everybody. Um, But so let me just add this real quick. Uh, Do you have a better idea for a football player to draw attention to a serious national issue? Because here's the deal. You always risk losing your job because, once again, you're a football player. They just want you to play football. 
The second thing is if you're fired, you're out of the limelight. So you can't get fired. In whatever you do, you can't get fired because it just took away your platform. You can't alter your uniform because you'll get fired because you're not allowed to alter your uniform. So you can't put a statement on your uniform. You can't bring a sign because you're not allowed to bring something out on the field. You can't speak out or only some groups will cover it because, by the way, there's tons of football players that have been speaking out and you have no idea who they are. Why? Because they're not covered. Nobody cares. You need to get a reaction or there's no point. And it says, wake up, we need your help. That was the whole point. Wake up, we need your help. So in other words, do you have a better plan as to how to draw attention to a national issue with respect than that? I think they actually did a rather brilliant job of that. Well, we're certainly talking about it, right? We're certainly talking about it. Yeah, so they- and... and- the sad thing about it is that, as with anything that is worthwhile, it's come with a, a cost. Um, the fact that uh, Colin Kaepernick has had to, uh, in essence, not be picked up, uh, you know, because of the stance that he has taken, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, but at the same time, somewhat, I think, disingenuous, some of the same folks that are connecting arms yeah. nowadays. Uh, they're connecting arms in support of him, but yet mm. no one's hiring him. Right. <laughs> and so I think that it's it's interesting to see how all of this plays itself out. I, I guess the question I would have for both of you gentlemen is the fact that we're now seeing the protests carried out on the uh, high school football fields, mm-hmm. uh, junior high, middle school football mm-hmm. fields now, and uh, it just seems like I, I was reading just the other day, uh, the city council of New York City stood out in front of uh, City Hall and uh, all of them took a knee. My question is, uh, where is the protest gone now? Is it still holding to, in your observation, the original intent that we've been talking about, seemingly that Colin Reed, uh, Colin Kaepernick, rather, and yeah. uh, Eric Reed had uh, it seems like it's moved away from that. It seems to be a different type of protest now. What's your observations on that? Uh, Brian, why don't you answer that? I have a number of thoughts on that. I think, first of all, in nearly any social, political, theological movement, it's typically the second wave where the problems start. Because the first wave typically is really thoughtful about their actions, is really thoughtful about their underlying philosophy and ideology, and then they move forward to express themselves in a particular way. Mm -hmm. What happens is that expression gains attention, and then those who are unwilling to do the hard philosophical, theological, political, intellectual, you name it, work to arrive at these conclusions simply want to adopt the conclusions for themselves. So they go out and act as representatives of a movement, perhaps not fully understanding what they're doing and perhaps not fully understanding the heart of the movement. And there are numerous examples of this uh, throughout history leading up to the present day. I have some concern that that is what we are seeing in part with younger children, teenagers, et cetera, emulating some of these things. Now, I say that recognizing there are plenty of children and teenagers who have ex- experienced the very discrimination that these protests are meant, uh, are meant to draw attention to. So I don't mean to dismiss them yeah. outright. So I think there's, there's that component of it. I think also sort of an interesting uh, other dimension to this is we talk about free speech, And free speech is funny because on the one hand, we really value it. On the other hand, we don't really understand it. (laughs) And then on a third hand, the random third-handed point here, we we still don't like free speech that we disagree with. So, for example, we would all agree that we have freedom of speech. However, there are things that any one of us could say right now that would lead to our termination. Right. And none of us would say that is a restriction upon our free speech. That is, uh, we are protected by the law, but our speech has consequences. Right. There are all sorts of stories now of public figures saying things on their personal social media accounts and then their corporations having to get involved. I think of Jamel Hill from ESPN, who's embroiled in some controversy around that. So I think that there's a challenge there where we're trying to figure out, okay, 
Yes, there's free speech, but free speech also has consequences. And as I am speaking out, what is my motivation to kind of get back to my initial point? Am I representing a movement or do mm. I just think the movement is kind of cool and trendy and I'm acting out with what it with what it is now? And I think the question of, well, should athletes not be doing that because it's causing young kids to do that? You know, you could say the same thing about a lot of things, and I think that's a, a fair question, but I don't, I definitely don't think that's a reason to say, well, we just need to shut it down entirely. Interesting. Lance, your thoughts? Uh, he, here's the thing. I, I believe that there are two different types of protests. There's a protest that, and everyone's going to say, oh, we all want the same thing. Well, you have to do it differently. There's two different protests. There's a protest for awareness, and there's a protest for change. This was never a protest for change. If it was, they should have did it differently. This is a protest for awareness. I think the fact that it is bled out and gone public was actually the point. So I think I think they succeeded. I think all this big awareness that now all of a sudden you have a middle schooler taking a knee was exactly what they were trying to do, um, which was, hey, we need more people to look into this a little bit more. Now, they're never expecting. They're not ignorant. They're not expecting everybody's going to do the deep research. But the fact that now all of a sudden you have to talk about that kid taking a knee in middle school makes the middle school parents have to pay attention. You understand what I mean? Right. So it was actually supposed to be a viral awareness protest. A protest for change was the Rosa Parks, the sit-ins, because what you did is you inserted yourself into a place that demanded immediate change or else there was going to be a problem. They did not do that. They did a peaceful protest for awareness, not a peaceful protest for change. So in my opinion, it's actually what they what they wanted. Interesting. What are your thoughts? It, it, it appears that, it, it, it take it even further, it's now become a protest of reaction. Yeah. And uh, obviously, when you have the leader of our country making a comment in regards to his uh, observation that uh, folks uh, that would protest need to be fired from their job, and they're given a derogatory name, which mm -hmm. is disrespectful not only to them, but disrespectful to not just African-American women, but women, period. Right. I think that what you now have is the reaction. It actually seemingly drew in more people. Oh, it who, did. It backfired. Are, it backfired. It drew in more people who are now protesting. Yes, they've moved away to some extent from the original intent of the protest, but... Uh, it's evolved now into a reaction to a lot of things that have come up that yet are just as important to be addressed. You know, some right. of the, uh, the, not only the racism, but how we treat women, how we treat one another, it's all important. Yeah, when we've got very fine people at white supremacist rallies yeah. and SOBs uh, who are kneeling for the anthem, yeah. that is going to stir some things. Yeah. And it has been interesting to observe... Uh, various NFL players actually kneeling during the anthem and, and so forth, but but a number of different sorts of protests of people basically uh, responding back to the controversy saying, no, this is inappropriate. Yeah. We may or may not stand for the fight. But you think about, okay, the entire Dallas Cowboys team, and including Jerry Jones, yes. their owner, walking out to midfield, taking a knee together. I mean, you want to tell me there wasn't some symbolism behind that, right? And then they stood for the anthem. You're right. It is a reaction. And what's interesting also is that I, I listened to a really interesting video this morning from a, a commentator named Shannon Sharp, former NFL player, who was actually pretty disappointed that it took this comment to get to get a reaction uh, yeah. from owners and everything else, kind of saying, well, basically, he's coming after your pocketbooks now. So you're saying, OK, this is inappropriate. But nevertheless... There's a pretty extraordinary amount of unity, whether it's fists in the air, uh, linked arms, taking the knee before the anthem and then standing. And it is the, the precise meaning of all of this has gotten muddled, but you're right, it's raised a lot of other issues. Yeah, and, and, and you know, especially when it comes to the children and youth, uh, working with a lot of youth, having a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old myself, I'm constantly wanting to have a conversation. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you thinking through? Yeah the purposes of your actions. And uh, my son and I, we've had this conversation. I said, now, if you're going to make the, you know, the protests and take a knee or whatever it is that you're going to do to stand in solidarity of what's going on, you need to understand what's happening. You need to understand the purpose of it, not just do it because you see others 
doing it. It has to be something that is meaningful to your own heart. And uh, I think that that opens the door for further education, further communication, so that as it moves forward, as it, as the protest moves forward, we seize those opportunities to really communicate to our youth and help them to understand it's not just mimicking. It's, yeah. You've got to really embody the values and embody the concern. It's an yeah. educational moment. And really even wrestle with, is this appropriate? Absolutely. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I, that is so powerful, and I think that has such broad application. We, I feel like, could keep talking about this until they turn the lights out and our, our tech crew went home. Uh, but we got to begin to wrap up here. But here's what I, I want to talk about is, is we have sort of touched on the faith component to all of this, but we haven't really hit it, hit it, hit it big time. Here's the question I want to ask, and then there'll be some room for any, any comments you guys want to make sure to make before we wrap up. But we have a lot of, of fairly strong opinions about these protests and everything around them, and some of that has been expressed in this last hour. But here's my question. How can we as Christ followers hold these strong beliefs on the one hand and yet be bridge builders and peacemakers on the other hand? Lance, why don't you start us off? Um, all right, so... Once again, I, I tend to do this. I slide to the other side kind of thing. Um, I, I think that the first thing we do is we don't just slide on one side. We, we create wisdom and we create balanced discussion. Okay. So, for example, I, I think that, um, and ref, respectfully so, I think that our president blew it. Now, I also have to admit that I also personally, other people think that he's this evil mastermind. I personally think he's not even thinking through a lot of what he says. And I think that, you know, it, it to be fair, once again, I think to be fair, we have to say, is he trying to be some evil mastermind about that? No, I think he's ignorantly saying an awful lot of things and causing a lot of chaos. But uh, I'm not ready to crucify the guy either on this issue. I think that he's way out of line. Um, and I think that he is consistently making the problem worse. Okay. But that doesn't mean that I create more hatred towards the president of the United States. Right. And the other thing is that, um, I, I love that there's dialogue. Uh, we recently had a conversation about black lives matter. They've shifted their view, uh, about how they do things. Now they're focused on disruption. Well, disruption, once again, is how protest works. So they're disrupting. But I guess one of the things that really spins in my head is what if you're protesting and your cause isn't good? Like what if you're protesting something wrong? Yeah. Like we always assume that the protest is something that's good. But is there a way for us to shut it down if it's not good? Let's say somebody is protesting. Like they did the, the white supremacist rally. I, I don't think that's good. And I'm not going to go, you know what? That's a great idea. Everyone should protest. No, I think you're wrong. I think you're not a good guy if you're out there saying that I have superiority. You know what I mean? So I think that for me, trying to bring balance and bringing other sides, but also saying we're allowed to draw lines and go, that is unhealthy. That is not good. That is right. So, uh, and I guess, anyway, that's what I'll say. I will respond by, in, in 1982, I'll never forget walking across my dorm room, across the hall to my neighbor across the hall, and he had a large Confederate flag hanging from ceiling to floor. Oh, wow. And uh, I'll never forget having the conversation with him that the flag offended me. He was raised in Mississippi, born and raised, and was attending school there in Oklahoma with me. Mm-hmm. What happened out of that dialogue allowed us to build a friendship in which we ended up going on a camping trip and spending an entire weekend together and just talking about why the flag was offensive to me and why the flag was important to his heritage. We never did come to a full agreement where he took the flag down, nor did we come to a full agreement of why I should uh, appreciate the flag. But what happened was that we were able to build a friendship that has now lasted over 30 years where we have chosen to uh, agree to disagree and yet have an understanding. I think the key is being able to not be a people in our faith that we remain silent, but not also be a people that we speak so loud that we not listen to one another, that we miss the opportunity to hear each other. 
I think that's really where it boils down to. I need to be able to come to the table and have the dialogue and to disagree and have the freedom to disagree and embrace the fact that God has something for all of us that uh, even in our disagreement, he's able to make us one. That's beautiful. I think what the two of you have said is is so powerful, and and I I wrestle with this a lot as as I think we're we're all all three of us are similar in this way, and that we spend a lot of time thinking about a lot of ideas, and because of that, we ultimately become very passionate about the things that we believe, and and that's certainly the case for for me. I never want passion to become alienating, and I I seek to calibrate that. I think what you two have both shared in different words about listening is so incredibly powerful. We have lost the ability to listen, largely. Um, you, You referenced this earlier. We have created environments where we can hear each other's ideas without hearing each other's hearts. And, and that's very, very challenging. So we need to develop the, the ability to listen. We need to develop the ability to engage. We need to, uh, I think, be people who are rejecting not necessarily all extreme views, but simple views. Views that would avoid the hard work of, hey, what's really going on here? By instead just saying, well, I don't like it. Right? I, I just, I don't feel like that is, I don't see Jesus in that. Mm. Well, at the same time, Lance, to your point, to have the courage to say, well, listen, you can protest for a thousand ideas that I just think are really, really bad and that hurt people. So we certainly don't have to yeah. don't have to agree. But we need to be people who can, Lance, like you said, create wisdom and balance discussion. We have to be willing to listen. We have to be willing to dialogue. We have to be willing to encourage reflection and then at the same time to question our own assumptions, Right. I, I think the, the story of you and, and the gentleman from, from college is powerful because that flag required you both to question your assumptions and to come to the realization that you didn't share assumptions about the flag, yeah. right? So, so that, is, uh, that is a critical component to this, to just realize, okay, I have come to believe the things that I have believed through a process, through an upbringing, through the ideas I was exposed to in my education and all of that. And just having the courage to question them. As we question them, they may well be reinforced. So it doesn't mean we change, but at least we're doing the work of questioning, we're developing empathy, we're developing the ability to, to listen to others. So Lance, you've got a whole bunch of notes over there that I can just tell are loaded with wisdom. So yeah, right. what, what do you got? Well, let me just let me just finish with this idea. I think that what ended up creating some, um, some challenge was that the flag and the anthem was involved. That is a mixed view icon. Some people see it one way, some people see another. Same thing with a Confederate flag. It said one thing to you. It said one thing to him. When you use icons in your protest, you need to be aware that it's going to cause some misunderstanding. So that is one thing that, and maybe they saw it and said, I think it's worth walking through. All right, that that's fine. So I wanted to leave everybody a little list on the best way to protest. How about that? I just created it while we're talking. Protesting by Lance Hahn. Maybe this could be the start of like a consultancy thing Wonderful. You. It's excellent. <laughs> it's excellent. It's called Lovelace. Oh, wait. No, no, no. That's your concentration. Okay. Here we go. The best way to protest. Okay. Number one, be clear on uh, your purpose. Be clear on your purpose. In other words, there's perception and there's intention. Okay? You intended one thing. You have to explain more. And I think this is where ultimately... If I was to go back in time and talk with Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick, you go, guys, be, let's be real clear what we're talking about, what we're not talking about, as opposed to merely just trying to start a protest. You have to be clear because you touched on an icon. That's a problem, right? Uh, second thing is think how people are going to see it that you want to change. Because if they see it completely different, it hijacks your point, right? It, it alienates. It alienates. Persuades, um, yeah. When they did a sit-in at the lunch counter, nobody was wondering what they were doing. Right. They didn't realize, oh, man, what? You don't have any respect for the sacrifice that we've done in other countries. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. how do we get off into foreign wars? Well, you're talking about my flag. You understand what I'm saying? Like they, it, it was not clear. The perception went way off versus the intention. So we have to be clear on our purpose. Why are we doing it? Third, uh, uh, clear on purpose. Number one. Number two, how are the other side going to see it? There is another way to look at it. Yep. Yep. Number three, you got to be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, because once again, if you go off the charts and you start screaming and yelling and going ballistic, yep. 
that reasonableness is the only reason the good people will hear you. Yep. Um, and then finally, know your goal. Is your goal change or awareness? You go, well, we all want change. Yeah, 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 yeah. And awareness can lead to change. But are you looking for direct change immediate? Are you looking for awareness for systemic change? What are you looking for? Be real clear. There you go. There was my little class on how to protest right. Beautiful. Love it. I don't know what we've been doing for the last hour. That's just what we needed right there. So, uh, well, hey, uh, Lance and Parnell, great stuff today. Thank you so much. Thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, listen, we created this podcast in part to create a forum to talk about important cultural issues in a, uh, a nuanced and hopefully helpful fashion. We hope that it is a tool for that in your life. More than that, we want to encourage you to practice this in your life as well. So uh, just as a personal encouragement, want to maybe uh, recommend that you try to turn down the volumes of uh, voices that are demonizing and pushing you to the extremes and instead maybe take the time to find someone you know and you care about who thinks differently on an issue. Maybe it's this one, maybe it's another one. Take the time to have a conversation, have a cup of coffee, get together, listen to one another. You might not change each other's minds, but you'll build a healthy level of respect and understanding. And ultimately, I hope that no matter where we stand on this issue or any others, we can all agree that we need more of that. Amen. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks for episode 10 of the Engaging Culture podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.